Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. So it's Father's Day, so I thought I'd start out with some, uh, some dad jokes. But these are biblical dad jokes, so these are the kind of jokes you might hear if you were raised like in a house where someone had a biblical studies degree like a pastor's house. So here we go. Uh, and they're, remember, they're dad jokes. So who's the smallest person in the Bible? Nehemiah. There's somebody videotaping. This could be incriminating, you know. All right. So, uh, so why didn't uh, Jonah trust the ocean? He knew there was something fishy going on. <laughs> Who is the most savvy um, businesswoman in the Bible? Pharaoh's daughter, because she went down to the bank and withdrew a little profit. <laughs> what, what kind of a person? What kind of a person was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. Good job, ruthless. Good. Requires a little bit of biblical knowledge on that one. Who's, uh, what was the first tennis match in the Bible? Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. They're dad jokes. That's supposed to be funny. All right, here we go. At number six, uh, greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> now, see, I kind of thought that one was funny. All right, so, all right, all right, Greatest lawbreaker? Moses, he broke all 10 at one time. Okay, let's see. How, did, how does Moses start his morning? He brews coffee. He brews. You're going to laugh at lunch at that one. It's going to hit you. You're going to. Greatest babysitter in the Bible, David. He rocked Goliath. Uh, did Eve ever have a date with Adam? No, just an apple. Need an ark? I know a guy. And this one leads us to our topic for today. Which Bible character had no parents? Joshua, son of Nun. No, 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 no. Don't do it unless you mean it. I can tell you didn't mean it. So, <laughs> so we're in this series, and it's about stories. And today I want to talk about, the first week we talked about, you need to remember that God has been at work throughout history and in your own history. Today I want you to recognize that God is still at work. And so today in the second of the series, I want to talk about your multi-storied story. You know, like how parking garages have multi-stories, right? Uh, there are many layers to our stories. When we come to align our, our story with God's story, uh, it has implications, ramifications uh, going out, radiating out from us uh, into places in the future uh, that we don't even know about. And, uh, and there is this person, we're studying the book of Joshua, and there is this person, an unlikely, uh, very unlikely uh, person to be any kind of hero of the faith, uh, maybe even as unlikely as you and I. And so in Joshua chapter 2, we read about this person. 
Uh, let me begin with verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, told you, um, secretly sent two spies from Shittim to go over the land. I said, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there, thinking they could hide out. Maybe people wouldn't notice two other men, two more men coming and going, I suppose. Uh, the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent his message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Uh, so it's an interesting thing here. She's, uh, she's um, betraying her own people and she is uh, choosing to hide these spies who she realized are going to come and um, destroy her, her, her town and kingdom uh, that she belongs to. So here's what I want to suggest to you. When we start on level one, our story, it's an individual story. It's an individual choice. I think God holds us individually accountable, also invites us individually into an opportunity to, to combine our story with his story. And this happened for this woman, and, and, and I'm like the candidate for it. And yet, I, I see few um, stories that change a person and their, their future more than this did for her. And so let me tell you, let me go on and read a little more. Because I want to suggest to you, these, remember in this first point, two things I want you to remember on this first level, this first story of, this, of your story. It's individual, and there is a call and a response. I believe that God calls all of us to himself. You're saying, well, there's the whole problem of the pagans, classic uh, philosophical issue. I believe even those who have never heard the name of Jesus have the opportunity through God's creation to know that there is a God and how God deals with them, judges. I don't understand all how that works, but scripture seems to indicate that every person receives an invitation on some level, okay? And so there is a call and a response. So listen to this. In Joshua 2, 8, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof, said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of, of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Shehan and, and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Her invitation, her calling, came in the form of hearing about a God. And she responded to that. I was, uh, we were in Guatemala, as I told you last week, and uh, we were having dinner one night, and, uh, and, and Carlos, who I hope you get to meet, uh, some of you have met him before, we're hoping to have him back in the near future to tell his story and then tell about what he does there. But he says to me, Pastor, do you... Do you do you think I was called to what I'm doing? And I knew what he meant because there is this, within evangelical circles, there is this kind of calling for those who go into full-time ministry. There is this sense. It's a strong, it's not like an audible voice of God necessarily, but it's like a strong sense that this is what we're supposed to do. I, I experienced that, that I, I really had no doubt this is what I was supposed to do. As a matter of fact, when my dad and I talked about it, he said, well, son, if there's anything else you can do to be happy, go do it. He said, anything else. My dad was a pastor. He wasn't assuming automatically I was going to do that. I had to kind of... Now, Cody has a little different experience than that. Uh, and you can ask him about it. Um, Carlos was t saying, I, I didn't have that. 
What happened to me was, and I know his story, and hopefully you'll get to hear him tell it. He, he was uh, very successful. He, he came to the United States, immigrated to the United States, became very successful, got very sick, wanted to go home and die there. Um, said to God, if you let me live, I will, I'll do something good for you. And, and he was healed, and he looked around, and, and he was in his home village where he was born, and he saw poor people everywhere, and, and elderly not cared for, and children being orphaned, and he just started doing something. He said, but I wasn't called to do that. In other words, there wasn't this strong God told me, go do this. I just looked around and that's what I saw. I said, so let me get this straight. You think that it was coincidence that you made it to a time of, out of a time of war in Guatemala into the United States and became successful and, and did very well financially. And you think it was coincidence that you ended up back in your home village dying where you were desperate enough to do anything God wanted you to do if he would let you live. Do you think it was coincidence that when you began to feel better, the thing that you looked around and saw was extreme poverty and brokenness all around you? And you think it was coincidence that when you saw that, the thought came to you, I have money. I could help fix this. I said, yes, you were called. You were absolutely called. See, in, in this talk today, I want you to recognize that you also are called. It may not be a strong prompting that this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. It may just be you open your eyes and you see some stuff around you that because of your relationship with God, you have the ability to bring about change. Whether it's with those little kids you're raising, or it's a neighborhood that's struggling, or it's even in city government or beyond. You see, you are called. I read a little, little kid story. I think I read it to my grandson. I, I can't remember which one. All I remember was one phrase, God goggles. It's time we put our God goggles on and begin to see that so much of what we think is coincidence or we take for granted may not be something that's just a coincidence. It may be God putting you in a place at a time where you're supposed to be there for a reason. See, I, I, I hear atheists a lot, and, and, and I always listen to their arguments and their thinking patterns, and I even have some ongoing discussions from time to time, and, and I always walk away, and whatever the discussion was, I, I, I rarely sense that I made much headway, but I always walk away thinking this, where is their hope coming from? What is the point of getting up in the morning? See, I am fully convinced, not through any merit of my own or special abilities or achievements that I've done, but I am fully convinced that I am where I'm supposed to be and I am here for a reason. Now, I need to figure that reason out with God's help and then do what it is I'm supposed to do. I get up in the morning because I know there's something I'm supposed to be doing today. I know there's a reason I'm here. There's a reason I still have breath in my lungs. If I did not have that, I'm not sure why I would get up in the morning. Unless it was some short-term pleasure and a few days of that, I'd probably be wiped out anyway. So I'm not sure what the point is. You see, the question that this particular thing answers for me is, where does hope come from? Where is hope, a real hope that life has some purpose and meaning, not just some nice, nice cliche little trite saying that means absolutely nothing in the end? What, what causes me to think I'm more than just another ant on this giant anthill? Because I believe that there is a God who created me, and that God has a better life for me, and as I'm seeking to know that God, my life has gotten better, not in terms of comfort, and it has that too, by the way, but in terms of meaning and purpose. 
and understanding why I'm here. Hope. What happened to this prostitute is she, I don't know, I, I, I have to kind of project that she probably had seen the worst of humankind. <laughs> she had probably seen the darker side of humanity. And she certainly knew the darker side of her own culture and her own, her own um, people. And she looked outside of her setting, outside of her context, and saw something that was so much better, that had the potential to be better. You see, that's what responding to calling is. It's looking beyond what's around me and what's always been around me and the expectations of all those around me and seeing maybe there is something more. Maybe there is a God and he did create the world and he even knows me and unbelievably he has a plan for me. Could and I have a conversation this week about just friends, people we know, and how do we help people understand? How do we communicate that unlike what the media would suggest in popular television and movies, we as Christians are not here trying to condemn people and judge people and ruin their lives. We happen to want to share what made our lives better. But how do you say that to someone? How do you say to someone what I have, not because I have it, but because it has made my life better, I want you to have that. Not so I can tell you how you live your life. Not so I can control you or set the rules. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with me humbly knowing my life is better. My future is secure. I believe there's a heaven. I just really wish you'd let me say that to you. As we had that conversation, it was so interesting. We said, but how do we say that? You can say that in Africa by handing out a loaf of bread. You can say it in Guatemala by helping little children have surgery and, and feed the hungry people. But in a, a country where we're richer than we ever fully understand, how do we say that to people who have everything they need? Not everything they want necessarily, but everything they need really. How do you say that? I don't think it's a mistake that it was a prostitute who saw. Anybody else in, in Jericho could have seen what they knew. They all knew the stories. They all knew about the Red Sea. They knew about the Jordan. They knew about what happened. They could all see it. Why was it the prostitute, the bottom of the heap, socially, who was able to see it? It seems that our ability to see something better, to see God for who he is, to see God at work is inversely proportionate to how much we have to lose if we believed it. Jesus talked about it. Rich people, camel, eye of a needle. Right? Why was it there was a, it seemed to be a disproportion for a religious rabbi, for a leader. Why was Jesus following so filled with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes? Why was that? Because those who see are the ones who are willing to see God at work. The more we get self-sufficient, the more we kind of feel like we've got it all figured out, the further we get from our needs, our felt needs, the further we think we are from our spiritual needs until usually it all comes crashing down in some way or another. Here is this woman who is willing to see God at work and to respond. See, that's what needs to happen for all of us. We need to respond because there is a calling on our life. There's a calling on your life. It's first to know God, to be forgiven, to be reconciled to your creator. And then it is to walk in relationship with him. And then it is to impact your world as you do that. There's a calling on every one of us. It's not just pastors, it's every one of us. 
but we must respond. We must be willing to see and hear the calling and respond. I, uh, I have a friend in the, in the church and, and uh, he not long ago began to, in a fresh way, see a need or a calling. And uh, his name is Mike and I'd like you to meet him. Check out his story. Hey, I'm Mike Ramirez. Uh, I'm the facilities guy here at SEG and I've been coming here for almost five years now. Um, happily married. I have four daughters. Alexa is going to be 21 here in a couple weeks. Christina is 18, just graduated high school. Olivia is 15, and Chloe is 11. So I worked for the Sheriff's Department for 25 years in law enforcement, LA County, and a great career. A lot of, uh, a lot of diversity. I held a lot of different jobs in different positions, and, and I, I got to just entry-level recruit all the way up to working for the sheriff in my, you know, my life, time within the department. So all the stresses that I had and encountered and endured, um, whether it was patrol or on the political side of the job, I always went back to my faith, and I always went back to my relationship with Jen, because um, we have that strong bond. And, and faith makes it strong. And uh, if not for my faith, um, I'd be in some dark places. During my 25 years of service, and, and even leading into that, picking up odd jobs, working for my brother-in-law who was a contractor, going in and you know doing basic construction with my dad, uh, learning those little bits, and, and just all that stuff, um, which I used to occupy my time to deal with my stress while I was working through the department. But it, you know, it's led to my abilities now and, and being able to serve the church in the, in the capacity that I do. So uh, after 25 years of service and serving my community and, and my partners, uh, I, I decided, you know, the, all the politics within the department and uh, the current climate, uh, I said 25 years is enough. And so uh, I talked to Jen, uh, you know, I bounced everything off the boss first and she said, yeah, we can do it. And so I retired, we retired, at least I thought. And uh, that was March 27th, 2021. Uh, it was pretty short-lived. I was now at home doing a whole lot of nothing. So I, I, I started serving, um, like I've always served my whole life. And I started serving at church. And so I'd volunteer little projects here and there, um, you know, helping out with replacing a tile. We did some welding. You know, made a cafe out of a container, a couple shipping containers. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of went from that to a job offer. And, you know, initially I was a little skeptical because, like, why would you pay me to do something that I'm doing for free? Um, but uh, I'm glad I said yes. When Cody offered me the job to be the facilities guy, um, I, I accepted. And so in doing that, I... I clean toilets, there's no shame in that. I repair anything that's broken. I'll create a room out of you know, studs and drywall and some paint, and I have a great team that works with me. But working here at SCG has also afforded me the ability to go and serve beyond the church walls, and, and that was like going to Guatemala recently. And um, 
That was a moving experience. To see what they uh, go through, just to make it on a daily basis, um, kind of just put it all in perspective for me. And I, I see my life and the, the life that I've given my kids and afforded my kids and my wife. You know, it's, it's real easy here and it's not so easy there. So I'd like to serve more. You ask my friends, they're gonna tell me, yeah, you're crazy for, uh, you know, you retired, why are you working? You know, you can just do nothing. I'm not content with that. I don't think we're called to do nothing. I think uh, God gives us gifts and he gives us abilities. And uh, if you don't, um, you're kind of not doing his purpose, you know, and that's, uh, that's serving. And I've always believed that it's, it's not what I do for me, it's what's done through me. And if I have the ability to cut open a container and weld it and make something out of it, um, that's because God has given me that ability. And I'm going to serve him in that way. And uh, yeah, so that's why I do it. That's why I do it. And I'll continue to do stuff. Um, Mike, Mike uh, may, uh, official title may have to do with facilities, but what I know he's really about, and I watch him do this a regular, on a regular basis, is have significant spiritual conversations with people. I see him all the time having a meaningful conversation here, a meaningful conversation there. It's like God just kind of leads him around to different folks, and, uh, and I can't wait to see what else happens. So the first thing begins, we start this first layer is we begin and we say, yes, there's a God, he's at work, I want to join my story with his story, and we begin to change our trajectory. And when we do that, it, it begins to radiate out from us. And so in this story uh, of Rahab, we find that in verse 12, second part uh, through 13, she begins to negotiate with the guy. She says, give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And so she is saying, I'm not only going to align my story with this God I'm hearing about and his people, but I'm expecting that to impact beyond just me. And when you align your story with God's story, it begins to change. Begin, first of all, those closest to you, even family. So we're having a reunion in a couple of weeks uh, my, on my dad's side. My cousin has arranged it. And um, you know the story of my grandfather, who was a bootlegger, a criminal, a gunfighter and, uh, back in the day. And uh, that one transformation of him and my grandmother uh, and all of us since have become not only Christians, but most of us ended up in ministry. There'll be dozens of pastors there. Nobody's going to get a word in edgewise. It's going to be great. All because when God changes a person, he often changes a family. And when he changes a family, some amazing things happen. He changes an entire family. By the way, it says about her that she not only not only believed and that she was taken out before Jericho was wiped out. She lived among the Israelites going forward. We'll point that out a little bit more. A person who comes to align their story with God's story will affect an entire family. And a family that aligns their story with God's story can affect generations to come. I just want to point out something really interesting. Um, uh, in, in Matthew 1.5, we learn something about Rahab. We find in that passage that she is the mother of Boaz. 
Boaz, by the day, was a, by the way, was a kinsman redeemer, meaning he was someone who he was a savior of, of types. He was a precursor to Jesus. He was a little type of what Jesus was going to do for all of us when he saved Ruth. We find Boaz came from Rahab. What an amazing thing. This converted prostitute is now. By the way, that passage there not only points out that she was the mother of Boaz, she is an ancestor of Jesus. From her lineage, it goes through her to Jesus. You see, the point of that inclusion is the redemptive power of God. He can take you wherever you are, whatever mess you've made of yourself, and however hopeless you think it is, and can turn you around so significantly that it would affect not only you, but your life for generations to come. Now, there's a thing, I don't have time to get into it, but there's this movement, it's pseudoscientific, I think, very controversial, that suggests that we can pass on our traumas genetically to the future generations. Scientifically, it doesn't look like it holds much water. But here's what I know from experience and from Scripture, is that spiritually, we do cause blessings or curses to be sent to the next generation. And you're saying, I don't know if I believe that. Abuse is proven statistically to be passed from an abusing parent to an abused child who then begins to abuse. Alcoholism so often follows from generation to generation. That's why in my family, my grandfather's alcoholic, I won't touch alcohol. My kids won't touch alcohol. We just think that was a curse that we no longer have to deal with in our life. We're, we have, you know what we have? You know what you're supposed to have? You know what I've seen happen? And one of the greatest evidences of God's work in our church is people breaking generational curses. A guy walked to me after last night, came up to me right before church last night and handed me this. This is one year sobriety chip. I, I got to be a part of him getting sober one year ago. Do you think God's at work in the world? I think God's at work in the world. He thinks God is at work in the world. I guarantee you that. You know what he's doing? He's trying to break generational curses and bring about generational blessings. The thing I've seen more often than not in our congregation, God working to help people break bad patterns in their life. Whether it's abuse, it's alcoholism, it's divorce itself. I'm the last generation to experience that. My kids will not experience that. My grandkids will not, and by God's grace, my grandkids' grandkids will not experience that. That's what happened in her life when she aligned her story with God's story. Generations later, we find the very Messiah coming from her lineage. The reality is, is when we align our story with God's story, he begins to change us and those around us and what is yet to come. Let me just give you, that's level two, individual, family, and then maybe nation or people group. Um, a life uh, that is in faith, a life that is aligned with God's story is, is heroic. In Hebrews, it talks about her. Hebrews 11. This is like the, the, the Bible's hall of fame. It's like the hall of fame for faith. Here's what it says in verse 25. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Sorry, that's from James. Here's what Hebrews says. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, uh, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In other words, she did what she did because of faith. And later we find that she is included in heroes of the faith because she not only believed in this God, she took action on it to align her story with his story. The reality is, is we live in a world where fewer and fewer people believe that God exists. 
Now, still majority of people do believe God exists. Few and fewer believe that it, it's a God, just some a specific God. They believe in general things. But in, in the 1960s, 98% of people in America believed in God. Uh, this, this year, the fewest number of people believe in God ever in the history of the United States at 81%. The truth is that fewer and fewer people recognize there is a God to write a story, much less that they should align their story with his. And yet Rahab is such an encouragement to us that we should know that God. We should align our story with that God's story because if we want our lives to matter for now and for future generations, it makes the most sense to sign up for his story. Let me just finish with this. Between the spies and her helping them escape, and if you want to know the whole story, read it. It's cool. And the time where Jericho falls and she is delivered, there is this chapter five in here. And there's this weird thing that happens. And Joshua is leading the people into battle. And he's not Moses and he doesn't have the credibility Moses has. And so he needs instruction, of course. And a weird thing happens. And it happens in, in verse 13 of chapter five. Let me read it for you. Because here's what I want to, I want to show you. An individual story becomes a family story, becomes a people story, becomes the story. We join the story of God's redemption. Here's what it says in, in Joshua 5, 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, and this is a pretty important question, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In other words, who are you here to fight with? Whose side are you on? And neither, he replied, that had to be a little disconcerting. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have come now. Here's the point of that. There's three things I want to point out to this. One is God's, don't invite God to join your story. Join God's story. God's story is a lot bigger than your story. It's a lot better than your story. It's going to take you a lot further than your story. God could dream up things for you you could never dream up for yourself. Don't invite God into your story. It's too small and he won't do it. Step into his story. Say, God, help me to be a part of your story. Help me be a part of this historical thing of bringing all these people back to you and we'll celebrate it forever in heaven. Help me be a part of your story. <laughs> the angel didn't say, I'm here to be on your side. He said, no, no, you be on God's side. You choose to be on God's side. And, and then an amazing thing happens. He says this, um, then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and ask him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Two things that he wanted to teach Joshua here. One was humility. He said, Joshua fell face down. He was humbled. There's an angel in front of you. He is humbled. But I need to tell you that whenever, yeah, we live in a society that is just so close to God, that when we say, Someone will hear me say, join God's story. Oh, yeah, you want to control my life. You want to tell me what I can't do. You want to take my money. Can I give you another way to look at that? Almighty God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, who knows yesterday and knows tomorrow, who holds everything in his hand, has invited you to be a part of the story that he is writing. Do you see the audacity we as humans have? Well, I just, I don't know if that's good enough for me. There's got to be more than one way. No, no, you, mis you misunderstood. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who holds in his hand, who could end your life and stop your breath right now, who started your life, 
who created you together in your mother's womb, that God, the only God, has invited you to be a part of his story. We were in uh, Bethlehem in the church of the nativity and uh, I've never seen it empty. Uh, I, I've been many times, four or five hour wait usually to go down to the little grotto where they think maybe Jesus was born. Empty. And so our, our guide for the day, Palestinian woman, uh, Christian, um, invited us to sit on what felt like the stage kind of, kind of like the, the platform as she kind of lectured us. And I was kind of the one of the last ones and I sat down and, and, and I just sat down and she said, could you please uncross your legs? So I'm like this. She goes, no, I mean, uncross your legs. I'm like, I'm not used to being rebuked other than my wife and kids. It was, it was kind of, and then I remembered somewhere back in the reaches that to cross your legs in, is to be disrespectful in some cultures. I, I wasn't aware of it in that culture. And she was, she was from an Arab background. So obviously that was a part of the deal. And, and so until before she would continue in her conversation, teaching us about where we were and what we were seeing, I had to do something that was more reverent than I was doing. <laughs> Did you get it? Did you get the point? He took his shoes off. I want us to take our shoes off. Not metaphorically, I want you to take your shoes off. Right now, I want you to take your shoes off. You're going, well, I didn't know this was coming. I may have holes in my socks. I knew it was coming. I got good socks. <laughs> Don't be a stick in the mud. Take your shoes off. <laughs> Come on. You're here. You might as well go along with it. Something might happen. At the very least, you can make fun of me at lunch. He made us take our shoes off. What a jerk. <laughs> Follow my logic. At the burning bush, in this case, the instruction is to take your shoes off because you're standing on holy ground. Why was this holy ground? We don't even know where he was standing. It was holy ground because God showed up or evidence of God showed up and God being at work. Would it follow logically that whenever God shows up that there is evidence of God at work that in that place and in that time you are standing on holy ground? Is it possible that if we would learn to recognize God at work and reverence those times when God would choose for no merit of our own, just because of his goodness and his character and his love, he would choose to intervene and work in our world. Is it possible in those moments we should not take them for granted? We should not say it's coincidence or some other explanation. We should stop and we should take our shoes off and realize in reverence and humility that God is at work. I've known a lot of alcoholics. I've known very few who really got sober. And the ones who did, I know God was at work. I've known a lot of marriages that fell apart, but I've known some that came back together. And those are the ones where God was at work. I'm looking at a nation right now that's falling apart. There's only one hope, and it's if God's at work. 
You know how that's going to happen? It's not going to happen through those in charge. It's not going to happen through politics or elections. It's going to happen through God's people walking around barefoot, realizing that we have in front of us every day opportunities to be extensions of God's love and God's goodness and allow him to work through us. And as we do that individually in our families, in our communities, our people, our nation will be affected. But it is on us to begin today, right now, where we are. Some of you are clapping. Some of you are going, oh, gosh. Let me tell you what I'm going. I'm going, I'm kind of tired of cheesy answers. I'm kind of tired of the lies politicians are telling us. I'm kind of tired of the people who don't believe in God looking down their nose at me thinking I'm an ignorant redneck. Both of those are true, but that's not why I believe in God, by the way. <laughs> what I'm looking at is a nation communities, families that are falling apart that need God <laughs> and have taken my shoes off in public is the worst thing I got to do to say, I believe God is the answer. Then let's just think and take our shoes off and let God be the answer for a change, right? <laughs> you know somebody who needs God to work in their life. You know a marriage that if God doesn't intervene, it's going to fall apart. You know some little children who are going to grow up with one parent at a time unless God intervenes. You know somebody. And the fact that you know them means God's at work and he might be wanting to use you. You might be standing on holy ground this week. Today I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for us that whenever you find yourself in a God opportunity, a God-given moment, coincidence, that you would realize. You don't have to take your shoes off for real, although it would be cool if you did. This might be a moment where God wants to work, and I want to be a part of it. This might be holy ground right here, right now. I've had some great conversations this week, some holy ground conversations. I know it for a fact. I didn't ask for them. I didn't seek them out. They just showed up, and I know for a fact there were holy moments. It was holy ground. And you're going to have some this week, too. I'm going to pray for you. Before I pray for you, I'm going to invite everybody who's going to Royal Family. Come on up. Leave your shoes off. Come on. Royal Family. If you don't know what Royal Family Kids Camp is, it's a camp that we do every year for abused and neglected children in the foster care system. These guys are going for the toughest week of their life. Come on. Come on. Don't be shy. Come on. Come on. Over here. All the way over here. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Nick, lead them, man. Lead them. Let's go. Over here. Over here. Come on. Let's fill up this whole front. Come on. Come on. Now, I need to tell you, I'm going to visit them, but only for about two hours because it breaks my heart to stay any longer. Because what they're going to be seeing this week are little lives, little hearts that have been so abused and so um, hurt and wounded and broken that uh, it's brutal. It is brutal. And yet, God is going to use them. This week, he's going to use them to heal to bring wholeness, to bring hope to those little kids. You say, what can a week do? Let me tell you, I know the stories. This camp's been going for a long time. I know the stories of young adults, adults whose life was changed by this one week of being loved on in the most wonderful, appropriate ways. And so we're going to pray for them because they are going to be on holy ground. So if you don't mind standing in your bare feet, and let's just be on holy ground for a moment and pray. Lord God, first of all, for everybody in this congregation... We're standing here and we believe that you're at work and therefore it's holy ground. 
And so today, Lord God, we want to be a part of that. We want your instruction. We want your guidance. We want, we want those God goggles that helps us know that we are in this battle. We are in it for someone's soul, for someone's health, for someone's marriage, Lord God. We want to be on your side, in your story. We're not asking you to come bless our story. We're asking to be a part of your story, that you would use us to further your kingdom, to bring your love, your peace, your joy into the world, into a world that is badly broken broken and divided. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to see those opportunities for what they are this week. Lord God, I pray for every person who goes to Royal Family Kids Camp. Lord, I, I, I've heard the little kids' stories so many times, and it just, if it breaks my heart, I know, I know it breaks yours, and yet you can, through these people who will truly be walking on holy ground, that you can use them you can use them to bring affirmation, to bring encouragement, to instill hope in a little child who statistically is going to have a rough go of it. And yet, Lord God, you can intervene. And so I pray for these folks that they would just have an unconditional love for these children. When the children begin to act out or act inappropriate, they would recognize what it is, Lord God, and they would just, they would receive wisdom and empowerment from your Holy Spirit to just do the right thing in that moment the loving thing in that moment, the caring, the affirming thing in that moment. And I pray for the kids who are going to be there, change their little lives. You love them, Lord. You love them so much. You invited children to yourself because you love them. So let their little lives be changed this week in ways that will impact them the rest of their life. Lord God, we are the kind of people who know the truth of the world around us. We see the issues happening around us, whether it's in little children who are abused and neglected or it's in a nation that can't hardly speak in a civil manner to each other. We see the problems, but more than that, we want to see you because you're the solution. So today, help us realize that we're on holy ground and help us act accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. Please be praying for these guys this week. Um, Put your shoes back on. Don't put it back. I don't really care. Go. God bless you. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.